when you do a brief internet search on the most watched TV shows, you will find that um, of the top 19, 18 of them are the same event. It's what's going to happen today, the Super Bowl, okay? The one that made the top 19 that wasn't a Super Bowl was the final episode of MASH. How's that for trivia? It's interesting what we count as important, is it not? Apparently, in the United States, a significant number of people think that the Super Bowl is a big deal. How do you evaluate things? Will the Super Bowl be a good game today? Who knows? God does. But how do you find good? We have been studying, this is our fifth and final time, the longest recorded prayer that we have of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's recorded for us in John 17. And in this prayer, we have seen how Jesus prayed for himself. His primary prayer was that he would be empowered by God the Father to faithfully fulfill his work, his mission, which was to die on the cross. And he was so confident that that was going to happen, he talked about it in the past tense. Now that's confidence. Then he prayed for the, the 11 disciples. And then, of course, there's bleed over to us, but he prayed specifically for them. And he prayed that they would be protected from the evil one, Satan. We talked about that. We prayed that they would be unified. And that same request is carried on in the next section of the prayer where he prays for us, those who will believe the message of the 11. So we talked about unity. Unity busters. He talked about his glory and us and him wanting us to be with him and to see the full manifestation of his glory, and that's heaven. So we talked about heaven. Jesus actually says in his prayer to the Father. And by the way, what an incredible privilege that's ours to see the intimacy and to, and to have an exposure to the heart of God. When we think about it, what we pray about tells us what's important to us. So ask yourself the question, what do you pray about? But in his prayer, he, he, he says, point blank, I am not praying for the world. Now, he's talking about people here, other people, people who aren't part of the disciples, who aren't, who aren't going to, to, alt, to be part of, 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 his, of his church, if you will. He's praying for people who are far from God. We're going to look at that aspect of the life of Jesus, his prayer and his commands, this morning.
Because Jesus has a strategy to reach the world. And we're part of it. But in preparation, I would invite you to read with me John chapter 17. We're going to go back to verse 13 and go through the end of the chapter. Open up your Bible, turn on your device, scroll to John 17, look at the screen. And I invite you to take advantage of being able to see it and hear it. Would you please stand with me out of respect for God's Word and in anticipation for what the Holy Spirit might, <coughs> excuse me, had to say to us this morning. <coughs> John chapter 17, verses 13 through 26. Remember, this is a prayer, and so the, the I pronouns, the my pronouns refer to Jesus. The you, the yours, refer to the Father. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. The them is the disciples, us. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them. For they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world even as I am not of it. Second time he says that must be important. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified. My prayer is not for them alone. That's the twelve, the eleven. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that's us, that all of them may be one. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them, and you will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and I myself may be in them. Father, we thank you for the fact that Jesus prayed for us. We thank you that we have an example of, of his heart and his prayer. We ask, Lord, that you would speak to us. I pray, Father, that you would protect these dear people from any interpretation that I might have that is incorrect and Lord, an application that is inappropriate. Accomplish in our lives what you want to accomplish through your word, by your Holy Spirit, for our good and for your glory, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. While it's obvious, in fact stated, that Jesus did not pray for the world. Again, we're not talking here about the physical earth. We're talking about people. It does not mean that he does not love the world, that he's not interested in the world because he mentions the world repeatedly. 
Jesus has a profound love for the people and a very specific plan to reach the world with the gospel message. And he outlines that to a large degree in this prayer. The gospel message, the good news, as Jesus says, that, that he is who he said he was and that he was sent by the Father. What is the gospel message? Not a trick question. The gospel message is simply the fact that we as hopeless, helpless sinners have the opportunity by faith to trust what Jesus accomplished on the cross. Jesus died in our place. We call it the substitutionary atonement. He paid our debt so that we do not have to pay it. He has redeemed us from the bondage of sin. He's redeemed us from guilt. And we know it was enough because the Father brought him back to life. That's the simple gospel message. That message has never changed since the first century. Regardless of where, regardless of when, and regardless of who. The message is the same. Now the church, Christ's followers, those who believed the message from the 11, those people mentioned in verse 20, they have been all over the planet for a couple of thousand of years in, in, in creatively different environments. And the beauty of the teaching of Scripture is that the, the fundamental truths are applicable regardless of where when or who you are. Biblical Christianity is the most inclusive of all religions. For it does not limit itself to race, family heritage, intellect, gender, social status. The ability or the willingness to go off into the mountains and do be. It doesn't re require us to, to sacrifice so much money or our children or, or anything else. So while there is an exclusivity to the Scriptures, that is that Jesus is the only way, other than that, it's open to everybody. Unlike every other religion. Now, Jesus had a plan. And in this prayer, we have at least three parts of the four-part plan. The first is that Jesus was going to, to finish his work on the cross. In verse 4, he says, I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Now, again, he's saying this before it happened, but as if it happened. And what was the work? Jesus came to seek and to save. Jesus came to, to live, 
and die. And his whole plan hinged on that single act of obedience to the Father and a demonstration of love for us. And so Jesus was determined to finish that piece of the plan. And then Jesus, as he's talking to his disciples, and ultimately to us, is telling us that he's sending us out with the message. He's sending unified, faithful followers into the world of people. Verse 18, as you sent me into the world, Father, as you sent me, Jesus, into the world, I, Jesus, has sent them, the disciples, into the world. And they're going to be faithful. They're going to be unified. Verse 22, 23. In them you are in me, and may they brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as I have loved you. He's, he, his plan was for these 11 to share their message that would ultimately get to you and me. You and I are here this morning because of the faithfulness of those 11 guys. Remarkable thing. And if the Lord tarries, which means he does not come return or does not, does not call us home as we sang, and there's another 10, 20, 30, 50 years, those people will come to faith in Christ because of our faithfulness. Whether it's people in the Bahamas being ministered by Samaritan Spurs, whether it's people in Thailand with the English school, whether it's people in Ukraine, special needs camp, English classes, all, and we just, that's just, that's us, Berean, being faithful. Whether it's the, the family that receives a, a new refrigerator, new to them, or a couch, or a bed, or food, or a child who, who enters into our building, or comes to sports camp, or comes to the block party, and they are presented the truth of Jesus. That is because of our faithfulness. That's Jesus' plan. He's going to finish his work. He's going to send us out to do ours. And we're going to have a clear, effective message. A message that will impact and change for eternity people. Verse 20. My prayer is not for them alone, but I also pray for those who will believe in me through their message. What's their message? Their message is Jesus. It's the gospel. And Jesus knows that his message will have power. That people will respond in faith to the clear presentation of the message of Jesus Christ by faithful, unified, God-honoring Believers. Now, what he doesn't mention here is that he has an organizational structure to this whole plan. Not his, I'm not talking about the details of the crucifixion, which are part of his plan, to be sure. I'm not talking about the selection of the 12, but that begins. And ultimately, that ends to 
leads us into what the New Testament calls the local church. The church. A few years ago, a prominent, well-known, evangelical pastor developed and coined a phrase. A phrase that I even used. And the phrase was that the local church (coughs) is the hope of the world. Well, over the years as I've pondered that and and, and thought about it, because I like to think that I'm thinking about what I say, that's not true. The hope of the world is not the local church. The hope of the world is Jesus Christ. And the local church is the mechanism, the tool, the strategy, if you will, that Jesus put into place to get that message out. The local church is not the end game. The end game is people trusting Christ as Savior and ultimately worshiping the true and the living God, which means bring glory to God. But Jesus knew this was, all this was going to happen. And so we need to make sure that we understand the local church. Now you have a little tutorial in your bulletin. The Greek word translated church is ekklesia, which means called out ones, and it's used 115 times in the New Testament. 85 of those times are clearly referring to the local church. 15 of those times are referring to what we call the universal church, the invisible church. And the other 15 are up for grabs, depending upon how you interpret it. Now, the point of that is that the vast number of times that the word ecclesia, called out ones, church, is used in the New Testament, it's reference to the local church. And so the teaching in the New Testament is about primarily, not exclusively, but primarily about the local church. Now, just in case you don't know what the local church is, look around you. You are a local church. A church is people. A church is not a building. A church is not programming. A church is not a budget. A church is people. And we must understand that the local church can be thoroughly biblical and look radically different than what we look like. And we can spend a lot of time, and it's done all the time, it's called missiology. It's, it's, it's that study of how the church functions and looks and behaves and, and connects with the culture wherever it is. Because the house church in China is the same as the largest church in the world in Korea, South Korea. They're churches. Chuck Swindoll's church is a church. We're a church. We're not the same. But the principles are universal. They're above culture. And our primary concern should be how we as a church, how Berean is functioning. And this goes back to the question, how do you evaluate something? How should we be evaluating ourselves? How should we evaluate a Sunday morning service? 
How should we evaluate Berean's budget? How should we evaluate Berean's staffing? How should we evaluate Berean's programming? You want to know what's important to a church? Check its calendar, what they schedule. Check the staff, people they pay to do things, and check their money, how they spend their money. And that will tell you what's important to a local church. Period. So how do we come to a conclusion, a meaningful biblical conclusion, conclusion that we're going in the right direction? Or maybe we need to tweak this or add this or forget this. How do we do that? Read the tutorial. Look, read it, look up the verses. Think about it. But let me suggest to you four tasks of a local church. Wherever it is. Whenever it is. Now be very careful that we don't take our experience and assume that it is the benchmark that it is the way to evaluate other churches. Be very, very cautious of that. Because churches are made up of people. And people live in a culture. And while we strive and we are diligent in developing a worldview, our worldview is, is related to our culture. And in different environments, how that is lived out is is going to be unique. One of my my favorite examples of that is I spent many, many years in southern West Virginia as a student and as a camp director and part of a local church. And one of the realities at the time when I was in West Virginia was a thing called a wildcat strike. And that was that the coal miners at the time, if they wanted to go fishing, they'd get together and say, hey, let's strike. Okay, so they do a wildcat strike, and they walk away and go fishing. Okay? Now, if there was a major uh, offense, uh, then it was a little different. But, but, that, but they, that was just the culture of the day. And so we have these men who are working in coal mines who love Jesus and who want to be biblical that they want to understand how to live for Jesus in their reality. And they knew that the strike was bogus. But here's a piece of the culture. In southern West Virginia at that time, if there was a strike and you crossed the picket line, you might come out of the mine and your truck is burned up or your house is burned down. Or you are killed. No hyperbole. That was the culture. And so the believers had to figure out a way to be Christ-like in that culture. And what they came up with, I thought, was was brilliant. Because one of my, my friends was a pastor, and he sat down and prayed and struggled with his men on what that would look like. And so here's what they decided. Now, you can debate this. Uh, while you're watching the Super Bowl, okay? Whether you think it's the right thing or not. not. But nevertheless, they decided they were not going to cross the picket line. 
They, if, if it was a strike, wildcat or otherwise, they were not going to cross the picket line. But what they were not going to do is what the other miners did. And that was that when they went on strike and that last shift left the mine, they cannibalized everything they could and they destroyed everything that they could on the way out to stick it to the man. And the believers did not participate in that behavior. And the union said, okay, you're not crossing the picket line, that's fine. You guys are Christians, okay, we get it. And they were able to maintain their identity as Christ followers and share the message of Jesus in that culture. So Berean must function in this culture. Mansfield, Richland County, surrounding counties, this is our culture. We are not in Southern California. We are not in Portland, Oregon. Okay? We're not in New Orleans. We're here. Now, one of the things that you need to be praying for Pastor Dan is for the past 10 years, he's been in the culture in Alaska. And he's going to have to learn this culture. So be patient with him. I remember we had, when I was a youth pastor, we had a guy come from California. <coughs> and and he, he kept making horrific mistakes. You hear about shooting yourself in the foot. He was shooting himself in the stomach on a regular basis. And, and one time, on one occasion, he said to me, I just never understood that Western Pennsylvania was a different culture than California. I, I did not do this, but I wanted to say, are you nuts? You're a seminary graduate. You're older than I am. You're supposed to be smarter than I am. Uh, you, what, you, you didn't understand that this culture is different than the California culture? Well, Dan understands that. But be patient with him. He's going to have to learn our culture. But it, nevertheless, regardless of the culture we find ourselves, there are at least four New Testament tasks that should be happening in a local church. The problem is that if we, when we look at all four of these, and we're going to do it like zoom real fast, we're going to find out that, that you're going to think of churches that emphasize one over the other. There are churches known for just one of these four tasks. They become famous for it. The pastor has written books and does seminars because of this one piece of the four tasks. We need to be committed to the totality of the four tasks. The first task is worship. Praising the transcendent God. Remember that Jesus was, was asking that his, the, the followers, us, would be with him in heaven to see his glory. As much as we talked about skiing and stuff last week about heaven, the primary function and, and behavior of heaven is going to be worship. There is a constant, uh, uh, when we get the glimpses of what heaven is like, there's this constant sense of holy, holy, holy. Worship. So worship is critical. Jesus talking to the woman at the well said, Yet a time is coming and now has come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. 
God does not need anything. God is totally self-sufficient. But he enjoys, he seeks people who will worship him correctly. We need to be people of worship. Now, we could spend a whole series of messages and not exhaust the biblical teaching on worship. But understand, worship is critically important. And as we are teaching our children in children's ministry how to worship, we are teaching our students about worship. If we were in the Philippines, worship would involve a whole lot more demonstrative stuff. There'd be people dancing. There'd be all kinds of stuff going on. It's, it's a fun, fun thing to see. Uh, you know, I'm not a dancer, and you don't want to see me dance, right? But, but that doesn't mean dancing is unacceptable in the right culture, okay? We need to be people who are enthusiastic about worship. True, genuine, God-honoring worship. Second, is these are four W's, not original, by the way. Worship, the second is word. There needs to be the teaching for wisdom and obedience. You know, let me just back up. There are churches that have pretty much abandoned teaching, and all they do is worship. And they're exciting places. They're a, a high emotion, and people, you know, kind of float out, and, and, uh, and, and it's, it's not a terribly bad experience, but they're not balanced. And there's virtually no teaching about the Word, the Bible. Now, we do not teach the Bible just to gain information. That's the last thing you and I need is just more Bible knowledge. What we need is the ability enhanced by the Spirit of God to enable us to give us both the will, the want to, and the how to, to obey. James says, do not merely listen to the word, and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. We are so easily self-deceived, and the Scripture acknowledges that. So when there is a teaching, whether it is right now, whether it is in children's ministry or a student ministry, or whether it's on a Thursday morning Bible study or a, a, a women's D group or a men's Wednesday night Bible study or a small group and you're talking about the Word, the purpose is not to learn more stuff. The purpose is to learn so that you will obey. That you will put it into practice in your world. It's critical. So teaching for wisdom and obedience. Notice that Jesus verse, says in verse 8 of 17, For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. The words, the word. So we have worship, we have the word. The third is the welcome. And that's the becoming a unified, healthy community. In John 13, 35, Jesus says, By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. How we treat one another, that's the unity issue. That's the loving one another issue. And how we then out of that love accept and welcome other people. Most churches when they're asked genuinely say, oh, we're a very friendly church. But because we're self-deceived, what, what they really are is they are really, really nice to one another. But they don't think about other people. 
Now, when Pastor Dan starts talking about parking lot to parking lot, what he's talking about is that when people come on a Sunday morning to the parking lot, the parking lot is the beginning of their experience. And he's saying that we should be a welcoming church as they come into the parking lot, as they come into the building, as they walk around, as they do anything that they do here, and as they get back in their cars and as they leave the parking lot. Parking lot to parking lot should be a welcoming experience because we love one another and we are united. Worship. Word, welcome, and witness. We need to be reaching a lost, needy world. We need to be aware of that reality. People are going into a Christless eternity facing an eternity without Jesus. That is a sobering, sobering reality. Apostle Paul how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? How can they believe in the one they, whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. You and I should be conscious and burdened about the people that God brings into our lives. Now that might be the person that's sitting next to you this morning. Might be the person you pass in the lobby when you're getting your, your coffee and your cookie. Might be the person that's not leaving the, the parking lot quite as fast as you would like, and you get up close, real close. And you don't give them any finger gestures because you're in the church parking lot, and you don't blow your horn. But, but they get the idea that you want them to move. Okay? okay? We need to be sensitive to the people. In your classes. On your ball teams. At work. At the plant. In the office. In your family. We should, be, we should have a growing sensitivity to those people and a burden for them. And we should be concerned about how are we presenting Jesus to them. Are we doing it in a non-judgmental, in a winsome, creative, culturally relevant way? Now, this is a tough one. Because most of you have been around church and maybe even Berean for a long time. And you know what's going on, and you're comfortable with what's going on, and you know this, and, 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 but someone who's new doesn't. Are we really being welcoming? Are we really concerned about sharing the message of Jesus in a way that addresses their heart? Now, there's more to be done at church than these four things, but these four things are the skeleton. The alternative to these things is an attitude that I am a gatekeeper. And so I enter into any one of these four areas and I'm here at a worship service and what I'm thinking about is, is the music the kind of music I like? 
is the music too loud? Are there too many songs? Are there not enough songs? Who is the publisher of that particular song? Those are gatekeepers. They have their own agenda. And they are determined in their own individual way to see that what they want happens. Rather than thinking this is about God. And this is what pleases God. What, what does God want to see and hear and experience from us? Now let me just assure you that there is a large group of people here at Berean who are committed to removing distractions from worship. And there are all kinds of distractions to worship. And we're trying hard to, to minimize those so that you can worship. Word. Well, who's that guy reading? Uh, what, what's, what's uh, is he... I'm more concerned about this nuance or this little piece of, of <coughs> church world. What's your position on this? Are you giving enough attention to that? Are you, are you giving my particular burden enough attention? <coughs> or are we really teaching the Word in its entirety? And any meaningful topic is going to ultimately get here. But the problem is that it might only, you might only show up if you're teaching through the Bible once or twice in every 10 years. And that doesn't mean that, that, I have, that my particular interest is not valid. It's just that I can't demand that everybody else give it the same amount of attention that I believe I need to give to my issue. Welcoming. A gatekeeper, when it comes to welcome, would be somebody that says, well, we can't have coffee in here because it might spill and damage the carpet. Okay? That's a gatekeeper. That's, that's, that's protecting something other than realizing that in our culture, a coffee cup is an equalizer. And people feel comfortable when they, when they have a cup of something in their hand. And it puts them at ease. It's welcoming. It's like being somebody in your home and how you are hospitable to them. And they're reaching the lost. I mentioned this earlier. You need to be real careful that we're not asking people who are not believers, people who are far from God, to think and act like Christians. You need to be careful about that. And at the same time, when I, was in, when I went to school in southern West Virginia, we were assigned, it was a small Bible college, we were assigned to churches, and I was assigned to a church that I, I hate to tell you, that, that just about turned me against the local church. It was so bad, the experience at that church. And what was so bad about it was that every single Sunday, the string-tie, cowboy boot pastor, all he did was give the gospel. And there was a lengthy emotional, just as I am, you know, six times, hum it now, the organ's going to play it, that kind of thing. Every single week, 
just the gospel. It was terrible. In fact, I, I figured out ways not to have to go to church. And it took me a, about two years to get over that horrible experience. Now I love the church. And I really have a great time here at Berean. Thank you very much. Uh, but I'm leaving, so don't panic. Uh, but, uh, uh, so, uh, but, but it's not that way now. But at that point, it was just because it, he, 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 he was too, inf- too much emphasized on this idea of people of witness. And, he, and there, was, there was no meaningful worship. And there, the word was not expounded. And, and it was not a welcoming environment. It's a hostile environment. So, beloved, and I have the greatest confidence in you. I really, really do. And I am excited for what God is going to do in the next chapter. In two weeks, on the 16th of February, Pastor Dan will be here. He will not be doing a full-blown message on that week. He and I will be sharing that. But then the next week, which would be 7 on the 16, is 23. Thank you very much. It was a test. You passed. You did great. Okay, on the 23rd, that'll be his first full-time message, okay? But we're going to have a great celebration on, on the 16th. We're going to pass the baton. We're going we're to celebrate. We're going to, you know, anticipate some great things. Uh, but um, I'm excited about that, and I hope you are too. But, but be honest with yourself and hold Dan, hold the deacons, hold the staff, to these four W's. Are we worshiping the, the true and the living God with authenticity? Is the Word of God being taught in its entirety with the, com- with the commitment that people would have life change, not just more information? Are we genuinely a loving, welcoming, unified group of people? We're not worried about turf and, and all that. We're, 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 we're different. And are we concerned about sharing the message of Jesus? Are, are we designing our services? Are we spending our money? Are we programming so that people would come to faith? And ask those questions often. Ask them with an open, teachable, humble heart. Jesus prayed for us. He prayed for the disciples. He prayed for himself. But in praying for all of them, he prayed for the world. Because he didn't pray for the world, but he cared about the world. And he had a plan. And you and I are part of his plan for this culture at this time. What an incredible privilege that we have to be included in what God is trying to do today in the hearts and lives of men, women, children, and young people here and around the world. If that doesn't excite you, and if that doesn't humble you, and in one sense, if that doesn't scare the pants off of you, you're not thinking about it right. Father, I thank you for your word, and I thank you for the heart of Jesus that it included us. Lord, help us to be the church that you want us to be. And that begins by us being the people that you want us to be. Thank you for Berean for its incredible history. 
for its legacy, for its worldwide impact. And Lord, that is continuing today. That is, that is not a past tense thing. That is a, a reality today. Thank you for it. Help us, Lord, to, to be faithful. To worship well with integrity. To study your word with a commitment to obey. To become a loving, unified, welcoming community. And Father, to have a, a, a burden for lost people that causes us to, to take risk, to change the way we think and the way we act. We're grateful, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Lord bless you.